0: Welcome to Between the Biotech Waves. I am your host, Nathan Birmingham. Today, we're talking to Elliot Forrester, ex-CEO of F-Star Therapeutics. Elliot was at the helm of the company as they reverse-merged into Springbank Pharmaceuticals and through the recently-announced acquisition by SinoBioPharma, a Chinese pharmaceutical company which generated a lot of interest given the very public interactions with CFIUS during the transaction. Prior to F-Star, Elliot was CEO of Immunicore, Criabilis, and Solace Pharmaceuticals, following his multiple roles at Pfizer, which included Head of Development and Operations, the European Union. He was the founding chair of MedCity and is an honorary visiting professor of molecular and clinical cancer medicine at the University of Liverpool, to name just a few roles he has had. Elliot is a member of the board of directors of Mematics and is chair of the boards of Okra Biosciences and Evacta. I would, however, note that his wife has a far more interesting job than Elliot. Please join me in welcoming him to Between the Biotech Waves. It is great to have Elliot on the podcast today. Um, You know, I've had the pleasure of working with Elliot uh, over the past few years on what I would say is probably one of the most complex transactions uh, and uh, extended transactions uh, in my career. Um, I'm not sure that uh, he really wants that accolade, but it is what it is. Um, So Elliot, uh, ex-CEO of F-Star, which is probably what he's best known for, but it played multiple roles that he's going to walk us through uh, throughout his career. Um I great to have you on board here today for the podcast.
1: Nice for speak with you, Ness. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So, you know, let's start with like who are you? For those who people who don't know you, you know, let's talk a little bit about your career and how you got into this business. And I think what's very interesting about you is you're based in the UK. You actually have had pretty deep experience between the UK and the US. So, you know, it would be great to get a flavor from you as you think about that decision to move to the U.S. and then actually to move back yeah. to the U.K. and actually be involved in biotech in the U.K.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, well, well, again, thanks very much. Um, I'm a, a basic scientist by uh, background. So I did a Ph.D. in neuroscience looking at how the brain talked to the gut. Um, and then uh, a little time later, kind of formally also did an MBA, which sort of mainly left me confused. Um, and, and on the back of, of the neuroscience uh, doctorate, I moved to Glaxo when it was Glaxo in the very early 90s um, to look at translation models um, from uh, non-clinical clinical space and building uh, healthy volunteer models for uh, pain and uh, other uh, symptom types associated with the, with the gut and, and you know, generally around the body. So arthritic uh, and neuropathic types of pain. I spent four years there, uh, really enjoyable. Went through uh, the first of the acquisitions, uh, many acquisitions I was involved with in, in big pharma, uh, so Glaxo uh, joined up with Welcome. Uh, I was lucky enough to um, then be expanded uh, into a global role as part of that uh, acquisition and really got my first taste of working uh, in biotech and pharma in the US as part of that and, and our site in uh, North Carolina, Raleigh Durham was, was where I was in and out of as a, as a visitor, uh, running a, a you know worldwide, a small worldwide group uh, at that point. Um, after four years there, um, I was uh, attracted to go to Pfizer. A couple of my pals moved there, and they said it was a great place to be. Uh, was a very rapidly expanding phase three uh, pipeline in the in the uh, mid nineties, um, and and sure enough, off uh, I went and and joined a phase three development program in in migraine and uh, then into pain, uh, arthritic pain, and specifically working on the COX-2 inhibitors uh, in a partnership with CERL. And again, uh, ended up, uh, for reasons best known to other people, uh, running those programs uh, on a transatlantic basis and indeed moved to the U.S. um, with my family um, and had, in fact, our second son out in the States, uh, Henry or or Hank the Yank, as we call him in the family. Um, who was born out there? And so that was really. He's not the, going to be happy. You said case. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure he won't. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, he's not so going to we, listen to this.
1: Up, <laughs> or he will. <laughs> and he'll he'll punch me lately, He's much bigger than I am. Now, so, so, um, so so that's so that's all good. And we and we spent the time out there running uh, those programs um, and really getting a sense, of, in particular, of the FDA. We went through. Uh, three uh submissions during that period were out there uh, successfully uh, fortunately um, and and got a, a flavor for you know the importance of uh u s markets, u s regulations and and indeed how pharma is done there which which is the kind of same and different um, just because of scale in particular but also processes as you know wellness um, out there and and then um, a bunch of acquisitions um uh, Pfizer at that time was, was buying uh, Warner Lambert and then Pharmacia and I was uh, part of both of those and uh, again I guess as a result of some of the changes I got uh, elevated into more, more and more senior roles and eventually ended up running uh, drug development so kind of a deep bit of R&D outside of uh, the Americas and Japan so the, as we all fondly call it the rest of the world and again kept me, uh, my boss was based in New York so kept really an arm around uh, that, that U.S. Uh, rest of Europe uh, uh, bridge. Um, At at the end of that period, um, I wanted to sort of test myself, I guess, and the opportunity arose through a friend of mine who's based at Harvard, Clifford Wolf, uh, and Daphne Zohar um, at uh, Pure Tech Ventures to set up a company back in the pain space. Uh, And that was my first uh, CEO gig um, called Solace Pharmaceuticals. Uh, The great irony of that company was that I went in And the first thing I did was in-license the small molecule from a big pharma as a biotech. And um, I guess it was because it was my first time I didn't realize that was the wrong way around. Um, As it turned out, that molecule um, was was probably um, a a decent molecule for what we're trying to achieve, but not the best. And and the phase two study we ran. Uh, failed. You couldn't have got a cigarette paper between placebo and active, and that was the end of that company. We closed that company down. And I guess the most important thing there, at least for me, on a personal learning journey, is how much you learn about the company and people as you're mm-hmm. closing them down, rather than just being successful uh, all the time. Um, from there, I went back into another uh, inflammation company uh, called Creavolis. Uh, again, a CEO based this time uh, out of Europe, um, and and really. For the first time, took a company from a non-clinical stage into the clinic um, and uh, eventually that company was bought um, by a, a company called Sienna. From there, became CEO of a company called the Municor um, and uh, really got my uh, teeth into uh, that transition again of taking a company which is in a single location, making it multinational, raising uh, capital. Uh, to fund it, we, we raised quite a lot. It was, it was a time where uh, very big funds were starting to be raised. We did a 320 million Series A, um, and, um, and and again uh, moved that uh, organisation forward. And then uh, in the late summer of 2018, uh, I got a teleco call from you uh, on a Thursday evening, which Thursday in my time, Thursday <laughs> evening your time. And along the lines of, hey Elliot, how you doing? You know, um, we've got this, got this company. really cool company. Nice and simple. Nothing to worry about. You know, in and out. Probably turn it around a couple of years. Don't worry about it. Uh, are you interested? And so uh, that was Estar, um, and it was all just damn lies, Ness. It was the most complicated <laughs> thing we'd ever seen. I mean, as as you and I know very very well, it turned into a. It turned into a journey of extraordinary complexity. I mean, the the first thing, and I'll I'll stop because I know we want to do the F-Star story. But the first thing is I turned out to be CEO of not one company, but six independent (laughs) companies with different boards of directors and different shareholders. Thanks for that.
0: Well, I I was only chair of one. That's all I know, right? (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. So, all right. That's a lot, right? Like you really have covered a lot um, in that time. Um, you know, it's at, at a very top level, you know, the, that transition into biotech and then your experiences in each of the biotechs. Are there sort of key bullet learnings from, from them that you kind of take away with? And as you think about sort of your future, just like, are there learnings across all of them that positive and negative that you basically turn around and say, these are sort of my guiding principles now or my guideposts as yeah. I think about other biotechs?
1: Yes, I guess look, I'm, I, I have two rules now for, for things I'll engage with, and they're, they're quite simplistic and, and probably most people think a bit stupid, but the ones I use, and one is, uh, do I like the people that I interact with? And, you know, Esther I really you know, fell in love with everybody there. It's a fantastic company. really liked them. That was great. And so that worked. And then the second, and I still apply this now as well, do I think the technology or the drug or the idea is going to make a real difference to patients. And it could be a small number of patients, it could be a huge number. It doesn't even necessarily have to be, you know, breakthrough, you know, second generation gene editing. It could be, you know, really simple biologics, chemicals, or, or even devices these days, of course. And, 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 if, and if those two things apply, then then I'll, and I'll get into them. And I guess they're both important to me because what, what sort of dawned on me slowly um, is that if you haven't got the right people in place, then frankly it doesn't matter how much money or how much technology you've got; it isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Will, the people will get in the way of that. And then secondarily, if you have got the right people, then money will will find uh, the technology, and so we can do the you know risk mitigation experiments that are necessary to move you know these things forward to become you know treatments or drugs eventually. So 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 I just sort of applied those two things. And I, I know they're, they're almost old chestnuts that, like, you know, it's always the people, it's all the technology, but I would say over 30 years in, you know, organizations as big as, as, big as 150,000 at Pfizer, an organization as small as six at those two things continue to grow and more and more I've seen it, uh, the more true I, I think it is. And, and I think more, you know, sophisticated investors like yourself also do the same thing. You look at the people, you look at the technology, and then... Make sure, and you know, believe everything else will come together. And I think, I think they're both
0: true. It is. There is a gut check. You know, you know. I, I look at groups that are, and you know, as you think about taking a CEO role, that people spend a lot of time doing diligence, trying to predict where the market's going to be, competitive analysis, which is constantly changing. But at the end of the day, I don't know if you feel the same way. But it's, it's. You almost kind of sit there and say, "In oh my gut, I believe X." Right. Um, and I believe this is the right team. And frankly, this is a team I want to go grab a beer with or I want to sit around a table and p- try and problem solve versus a team that's banging the table, egocentric and say they know it all, which I think we've all been guilty a little bit of uh, in our careers.
1: No, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I, and I think that um, kind of human instinct piece uh, with experience, I, I right. think it's probably tougher. for you if you took me back to nineteen ninety five, I didn't I'd not done anything, didn't know anything. Um, but you know, thirty years hence it's it's you get used to it and you get to see what good looks like from a people you'd like to work with. And it's not the same for everyone, I'm sure. I mean I'm sure the people I'd like to work with who others would say you must be crazy, type of thing. Um, but
0: but I think, yeah, you work with <laughs> me. Exactly. I, I was
1: going to say nothing personal, obviously. This is a, but but, it's, but it, it's that sort of thing, and, and, and vice versa, of course. And so so that for me that becomes really really important because we have got a, you know, particularly in the exec role, you're committing you know three, five, eight years uh, to these things, and and you know wellness because you've done it as well. You know, once you're one should a CEO and a biotech. There's no switching off, you know, it's,
0: it's Right. seven yes.
1: days a week. You know, Not you do sleep, but, but you're on it all the time. And that's even if you have kind of strict, you know, don't call me after seven o'clock rules. You know, your brain's still active, and, and there are always things going on. So it's, it's a huge commitment for your own energy levels, plus, you know, those around your friends, family, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's got to be, you've then got to be in an environment which you're deriving some pleasure, not just from the activity, but from the people who are there as well.
0: Yes, no, for sure. Okay, let's talk about F-Star. I want, there are other things I want to come to, hopefully, if we've got time, into things like, you know, UK biotech, European state, you know, as we think yeah. about the market, we're yeah. very U.S.-focused or U.S.-centric, tend to be. But F-Star, so just kind of set the setting the scene up here before you came on board, right? You know, this was one where yeah. um, Atlas Venture had been a very early investor into the company, if not actually one of the seed investors in there. Um you know it was a great technology around uh, bispecific antibodies with igg format that allowed you really to have a more modular based system for the bispecific itself in addition and very importantly when you looked at scale up and from a manufacturing standpoint the technology was very uniquely positioned for that versus other technology competing technologies that were out there at the time the um The way the company been sort of structured, and and Elliot, as as I give this history, please jump in and correct me if I'm misstating anything. Um, As the company was sort of set up, the best way to describe it for people is very similar to, uh, and probably one of the first companies that was set up around the sort of LLC type structure that we're familiar with here in the US, where you've got a central platform technology, and then you've got these subcos around it that have different partnerships that are in place. Um, and that effectively enables you to parse out IP, maximize potential overall return metrics for investors, um, because you can actually distribute cash from those entities as uh, as deals are being done. And I would say, you know, F Star was pretty prolific uh, in getting in getting deals done uh, during its its evolution. My inter you know, I was asked to step in uh, and take a look at the company by Atlas. Um, you know, and and really sort of dig in and, and evaluate where the company is and, and moving to a number of years ago. And I looked in at where they were and what was going on with the company, and a couple of things kind of stood out. So a lot of time really was being, felt like a lot of time really was being spent on the partnerships and meeting the needs of those partnerships. And those distribution of capital to the shareholders, including management teams and, and employees, was you know, meant that the balance sheet was not as strong as one would actually like to see in a company um, that really is building its own proprietary pipeline. And especially as we all know, platforms are very expensive to actually run. And then as you think about moving into uh, the clinic, uh, being able to run those clinical trials. And so I'd say that was one sort of structure. and, and, And I felt at the time that as a result of that, the sort of value proposition for the company itself and its leading position in the field was actually being compromised, right? Um, yeah, because yeah. again, it's really more around the 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 partnerships versus the own internal uh, proprietary pipeline. And clearly this is a time in immuno-oncology where a lot of things were being identified. The need for the sort of bispecific modular format was becoming more and more important so you could actually try to figure out what was the right combination to allow you to start to evaluate. So ultimately, um, I was asked whether I would step in as exec chair into the company Um, and effectively enact a a recommendation that I made to the board around sort of the next evolution of the the company in its own right. And that included, you know, as we see in any company, you know, the sort of evolution of it, bringing in some additional new management in thinking about the reformatting and restructuring of the overall corporate structure, but also really kind of focusing down then on the internal proprietary pipeline and thinking about access to capital to allow us to build the company. So... As Elliot pointed out, I think we called him on a Thursday and I think you had your contract done on a Monday, something like that. It was like one of the, fa- right. it is the fastest hire uh, we've ever done. And and, and Jean-Francois J.F. Uh, over at Atlas was, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, on, you know, to get this done with me. So the two of us really sort of tag team to uh, convince you to come and uh, join the company, which, which you did, um, turning down another offer, actually, I believe. Uh, to do it and then you stepped in and and saw f-star so let's let's talk about you know from your perspective that that for sort of first period of time when you walked into the company what you saw and what you actually felt really needed to um that we needed to evolve the company uh into as we were moving forward here
1: yeah so and look and i think that that's crazy of it is very reflective of what I found, Ness, and I think I would add just a couple of things. So, so one is in biotech. You know, we've moved into a period now where you know a sort of quasi Moore's law applies to all technology. You know, when I first started, you'd have, you have know, half a decade, a decade to pursue a new technology, get it to the market, you know, make some money on it, and everything will be fine. And everything was sort of moving at that pace. You know, I came into F Star probably you know a midway through an acceleration in technology. You see it everywhere. You know the number of cell companies, number of gene editing companies, and on and on and on. Uh, and of course, this was also true of specifics. And and I guess the, the the consequence of the time that was spent uh, at F Star with those partnerships, and by the way, unbelievably successfully, lots of money returned to investors, lots of money returned to shareholders. But the consequence because of this sort of crazy Moore's law was that the bi-specific platform um, was not just the best, but, it, but at the time, it was the first at the beginning of that. And by the time I'd arrived, it was still, I believe, the best, but it was one of many, many. And so we then had to spend our time making the, this is the best arguments rather than this is the only bi-specific platform and and you know the ease with which uh, finances would have flowed and the ability to move that forward. So, so that was the first sort of dilemma that we came across. The second was that our only, you know, it, our only conversation with respect to um, what is it that you would like to achieve as a set of investors had been you know, limited to a couple of board meetings. And so with you, you and I went around and, and talked to all of the investors and said, you know, what do you want to get? And it's like, well, we'd like, <laughs> we'd like a 10x return on our investment, et cetera, et cetera. But, but, you know, really, let's get our money back. Let's see if we can get a multiple. And I think to do that, you know, as you've already intimated, the only way to do that is to have your own pipeline um, and, and ideally access capital markets. And we thought, and at the time, NASDAQ was still wide open, we thought that would be the best route without really knowing what the future, future held for us. And we had nothing in the clinic. Our only clinical compound was partnered through, uh, uh, through another company, um, Merck, uh, KGAA, the, the German Merck, as it were, um, and, and that was it. And everything else was very, very early. And, and we faced the, the kind of dilemma that many, many biotechs face, and, and it's true in particular biotechs in Europe, who have partnerships and also have their own technology and balancing the resource between partnered programmes and internal programmes and not kind of being a, a slave to either, but also making sure that both are served. Um, is, is a real trick in it. and it's tough, 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 and that level of prioritisation is always difficult. But coming into FSTAR, it was, it was easy because, you know, we're an organisation roughly of about 100 people all the time, and at that time of the R&D staff, you know, at, at least a half and probably close to the three quarters were working just on partner programmes. So the resource that was being deployed onto the internal pipeline was simply too small. And I, and I think... Um, that was one thing. And then the second was, you and I, you may or may not remember this, um, in the uh, late in 2018, went on the road in New York to a couple of kind of friends and family friends mm-hmm. just to test, test the water to see what it was like. And you know, I remember vividly one of them um, saying to us, well, A, you know, where's your clinical asset and, and why is this the best biophysic? But, but also, I've just looked at your structure. And which particular company would it be that we would invest into of all of the companies? And we had this funky arrangement, <laughs> and you remember it well, which is uh, you know, F-star, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, you know, Foxtrot, and, and on and on and on. Um, and, and, and it was fair. And obviously, there was a kind of operating company um, that we sat the board meetings around, but the assets, uh, the, the programs sat in, in a range of others. And so it was also important to consolidate all of that. And that, all, of course, would have been doubly important. Uh, with our aspiration to, war- to move towards uh, NASDAQ. And so, what we did uh, quickly um, was to, um, in the final board meeting of, of 18, um, you know, we proposed that we should try and see if we could get more of the action from the clinical program, which is a, a PDL1 lag 3 bispecific and, and the only PDL1 lag 3 bispecific in the clinic at that time, um, and to have a conversation at JP Morgan. Uh, with Merck to see what, what might happen um, with that. And, and we were lucky enough that through a major restructuring, we had to give a bit, they didn't have to give too much, but we had to give a bit, we were able to get uh, that program back. And, and, you know, if we go through the story a little, you know, the importance of that particular molecule, FS118, to the company corporately uh, cannot be overstated because it's it basically, uh, because of the movement of uh, Rilatlamab, Rilatlamab, um, and, and uh, Nevo, so BMS's uh, PD-1, like three combination, which got approved in melanoma, basically you know, and that enabled us to finance the company mm-hmm. uh, through our last round of financing before um, the, the acquisition by inbox started. So, so, so that was that. And, and we were lucky enough to get that uh, deal done, which we completed in the May um, of uh, 2019.
0: And kudos to you for that, because I remember thinking, A, you did that very fast. Um, I was very, I remember being very surprised at the speed at which you managed to affect that um, and the way in which you did it. So, you know, it was one where relationships were really remained very strong with, um, with Merck KGAA. Um, it really yeah. allowed us to continue to build a very strong partnership with them and communication set with them. Um you know, and, and I think there was a vision that you then laid out into the board that really ran how you wanted to build the company and move forward, which included yeah, actually exactly. a, a rift, right?
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah. So one of the, one of the consequences of focusing, well, there were two consequences, major consequences of focusing on our internal uh, pipeline. So one is, um, we're not being paid for doing other people's work. We actually have to pay for doing our own work. And where does that money come from? Which is quite a major consequence. And the other, of course, is you end up with a with a organizational infrastructure, people and equipment, which are geared towards different things, but geared much more towards servicing other people's contracts than building your own. And we went through a fairly significant organizational change, which was uh, painful, but brilliantly handled by you know, the cso uh, neil brewers and, and the and the management team around him, um, which was basically we need to focus down on our own portfolio, it needs a smaller and different sort of organization, clinically focused it needs presence in the u s and many of these changes, of course, I was familiar with because i 'd been through it at Creavolis, i 'd been through it at Immunocore, but but it, it wasn 't easy and, it, and particularly difficult in the in the background of you know star being Seen as and indeed being a really successful company under that partnering model, you know, with the different asset-centric vehicles and so on and so forth, and sort of convince an organisation that that was the past and the future is different, and we've got to go through this pain um, was was not easy. And and you know, the board were fully supportive, which is always terrific. And and I always had uh, you as counsel, which as you know, I've always valued. Now. And um, and we got through that period and then and then move forward and and that enabled us then on that platform to say well what should we do next and of course at the time um and i famously or infamously said this to john cal at EndPoint at the time you could fart into a bag <laughs> say it was a cure for cancer and get 10 million for it and and it was a bit like that if you, you
0: remember Oh, I remember worse. calling like, you about your quote that, that morning. I was like, you've <laughs> got to be shitting me. I was like, oh, my God. And, but I laughed. Like, it was so funny to read it. I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you, you know, and, and it got to be
1: so bad. If you, I mean, just peri-COVID time. You didn't need the bag or the fart. Like, you say, I've got an idea for a 2 But, you know, but, but it, you know we, were, we were at that stage, and we thought NASDAQ was the right place to go. But, it, but the reality dawned on us very quickly. And we did all of the prep work and, and fantastic support from, you know, Mintz and Morgan Stanley, who worked you know, diligently and, and, you know, spent vast hours coaching us through that process that many, many companies have been through successfully towards IPO. But, of course, you also need the capital. And, and, and a couple of issues you had. One is we were now trying to convince the market with very little clinical data, you know, an, a very early I.O. pipeline with, with bi-specifics, and, and the investor saying, well, we see, you know, 20 bi-specifics a week. Why is yours different? Show us the clinical data. Think, so we ran can, into
0: that. Yeah, can we stop on that for a second? Because yeah. I think that that was a big yeah. miss, right? When you look at when the company was founded and the platform that I had... You know and what was going on and overall in the ion space, huge amount of enthusiasm, huge breakthroughs that were coming through um and really, people yeah. wanted to put money into the space and really uh, you know enable novel technologies to kind of be built around these learnings in ion you know really that was a, that would have been a great time to take the company out. you yeah. know we didn't do that. And, you know, by, by the factor of waiting, and this was, this, this obviously predates you and I, but by the factor of waiting a few years, you know, it, you now were in a very crowded field um, and there have been clinical failures that had taken place in the ion space that people thought was going to be, you know, home runs effectively. Um, what was it? Nod was one of them. Uh, as an example, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you be differentiating yourself now, given all the noise that was out there from, you know, there was nearly an ion company born every day, you know, became That's really right. challenging. So, you know, the time that we went out, you know, there was so much noise in the system, to your point, the, the preclinical data was com- almost, I felt, was almost completely irrelevant as investors were looking at the space and really they wanted to see not just sort of phase one, two data, but actually proof of concept in your target patient population.
1: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. You, know, you and I have never, you know, we always threatened to have a sit down of a, a beer about this and kind of reflect and we haven't had that chance. But that's right. That's, that's exactly my appraisal of the situation as well. Ness, in that we were, you know, probably four or maybe five years too late trying to do the thing we do because by that stage, investors had real options uh, in, in ONC. Um, you know, obviously there'd been a couple of, uh, new target failures. We were. This was pre um, the BMS like three data. Uh, so we were flagging like three, and obviously, oh well, it's very difficult. Yet, you know, yet another checkpoint pathway that could fail. And we are one of many biospecifics. Now, if it looked at our bispecifics, said that's quite cool and interesting, but show me the phase two big clinical data that proves that that hypothesis works. I guess, anyway, long, long story short, we, we really struggled to get that crossover financing away um, and, and kind of midway through the process decided that we should do a couple of other things. So one is, you know, will someone just come and, and buy us? And we had a kind of, we dipped the, uh, the smallest toe into the smallest piece of water and there wasn't a lot of noise mm-hmm. there, which we didn't think there would be because the same argument would be true that the investors would use. Uh, but we also started to pursue reverse mergers, and um, I know there are a lot of reverse mergers going on at the moment, simply because there are many shells, unfortunately many shells, because of the you know the straightened times we're in with respect to financing. But um, we did the same thing, and there were a few around, and we tried a few, and we got. Um, for those who don't know, the way in which the reverse merger process tends to work is. You put your name down on a list of many companies, or invited to put your name down a list of many private companies who would like a uh, reverse into an back shell, often with some capital in it and, and a listing. Um, and then there's a process of elimination, series of technology reviews, um, and, and often down to a final two or three. And the banks who run them like to keep a couple of options open in case one falls over. We went through this process uh, half a dozen times. Uh, once got to the last two. Um, But once you're back uh, a kind of week after the final interview and they haven't called you, you know, you've come second, and not first. And then eventually um, we with uh, Springbank Pharmaceuticals um, got to be the selected uh, party um, being the the, into the reverse merger. Um, But that. Wasn't without its uh, fun and games, and, and I and I think you know you and I could probably spend another three hours doing reverse merger stories, but the, the one I like to tell was the uh, part of the reverse merger, and, and not many people do this anymore. But you know we were in a different time. Part of the reverse merger criteria for success was to raise a small pipe financing, uh, fifteen million dollars, we'd agreed, um, and. We eventually went around you know, our investors got a couple of new investors. And you may uh, want to reflect on the, on the Dutchman or not. It's up to you um, when we finish this. But um, uh, you remember those two guys. Um, but we went through this process and managed to come up with, and I don't remember the exact number, like 14.3, something like this. And, and the other side, when, when I announced this to the other CEO, Marty, you know, went ballistic, right, shouting and screaming, you, know, you said 15, dead blah, blah, blah. Um, and and they said, look, we're going to have to go back. We, uh, not not Esther, but um, then we will have to go back to the market and see if another option. And and I was, um, and I called you, and I said, hey, what do you think? And you brilliantly, and you know, I'll always be grateful for this piece of advice from you. You brilliantly said, tell them it's off. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty ballsy, and tell them it's off. Now, what you didn't know, because I hadn't told you, is where I was. So I play cricket for my local village, and we'd gone on tour to Essex. And I was sitting on the edge of Essex County Cricket Gown, not playing because I knew I was doing this here, watching the boys, at the front of my red van. I own a red VW camper van. I'm sitting at the front of that with my phone propped up, sweating because it's like 30 degrees and I'm in a van, watching cricket and listening to my chairman recommend that we just cancel this deal that we've worked, you know, a million hours on for the last thing. So well, anyways, I, think,
0: I think you're being um, very nice, because the expletives that were coming uh, out from that phone to uh, <laughs> the time <laughs> were not uh, insignificant. Uh,
1: uh, <laughs> no, that is true. Uh, we, we, um, on, I've looked on Duolingo to see if you can find Anglo-Saxon, but apparently it's not available. But it wouldn't have mattered because we know it already. <laughs> So anyhow, we, we, we did that and, and sure enough, um, you know, the, the, the plan worked. We we called them uh, and said, Look, we're done. Um and you know, if you want to find another partner, find one, but we're not gonna sit around here being your insurance policy. Was which is which is the kind of harsh version of it. Mm-hmm. And and it worked. And you know, and frankly they were sensible, they were good businessmen, they were well advised and they knew you know, we were we were already, you know, you can't be half pregnant. They were already pregnant. And right. they just had to find a way of getting forwards. And then, so that was the Friday. On the Saturday, they called us back and said, yes, we'll do it. But uh, we want you to put a second CVR in place. Um, and so we had to write um, from the back of a red van with our lawyers on the phone and use a second CVR for the, um, the antagonist
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to, um, uh, uh, and I've lost, I can't believe I blanked on, anyway, to the antagonist program. That they had this is the sting.
0: Um, was this the sting antagonist? The sting
1: antagonist, thank yeah. you. Thanks, yes, brilliant. So, the sting antagonist, uh, you know, on the overnight Saturday and Sunday, and we you know eventually consummated the deal a couple of days later. Well, that was quite a that was quite the weekend on that journey, um, to uh to that eventual NASA listing, which came you know in the week of Thanksgiving, uh, in 2019. Um, and the other the other thing that, of course, was extraordinary, 2020. What, the other thing which was extraordinary about that um, was, was that in the background to all of this, we had COVID uh, mm-hmm. emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know much of this stuff was then, you know, we started to do it remotely. We, we run everything remotely. And in fact, um, one of the board directors uh, who eventually became part of the Star board uh, from Springbank, I have yet to meet in person, um, and and you know only by coincidence will it happen because uh, you know we now sold the company and they've moved on uh, as I have so it's a, it, all of that stuff in the background of that was it's almost surreal to be perfectly honest um, and anyway so we then launched we then launched F Star uh, onto the market and and again just to sort of cut a longer story short um, we uh, were pushing uh, FS118 the Like 3 PDL1. Uh, forwards into, into a pretty tough patient group, patients who'd already had a checkpoint inhibitor and become refractory uh, and we were bringing forwards two uh, agonist programs fs 222 FS120 and we had under CVR1 because of the uh, Springbank dealers being agonist in the clinic as well. So we went from having uh, nothing in the clinic to four uh, mm-hmm. programs in the clinic which as we all know in the industry even if it's just phase one is not a cheap business and you need to have the right people and infrastructure, and of course we put in place then uh, an infrastructure with a with a you know really good senior team. So Darlene in the CFO role, Louis and, and CMO Neil, you know in the CSO and James in the Chief Development Officer role eventually, and and all of that was starting to trundle. And we need to raise money, and we we worked with Leering, unfortunately um, at. Um, the run-up to ASCO, uh, BMS published their positive results in melanoma with this combination of LAG-3 and PD-1. And suddenly the conversations from, you must be mad investing in LAG-3 went to, you're the guys with LAG-3 lag by specific, aren't you? How can we put money in? And you know, we were, we raised about 80 million um, as a follow-on and a little bit of um, ATM. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're could have, could have raised twice that uh, relatively easily. And, um, uh, and that was just one of those things in the industry where you know the timing and good fortune came together, along with our belief uh, in that program and, and in that particular pipeline. And of course, if you look into IO pipelines now, you know the third checkpoint is like three. You've got to find the right patient set and the right time in a patient's journey to deploy it. But you know, all, of the, all of the senior and serious oncology players are now uh, working on that. And of course, you know, I'm sure F-Star will continue to do the same uh, I, under the inbox uh, acquisition.
0: Right. I think, you know, one of the things too on that raise, you know, I, you know where you say we could have gone out and raised, you know, twice the amount. I mean, there was the, obviously there was a very big discussion that's going on about the price per share at the time. The market knew because now you're a public company, you, you're disclosing financials. The market knew. Excuse yeah. me somewhat of the precarious position from, a balance sheet standpoint that we were at and, you know, going yeah. out to raise a very large financing, you know, we didn't really have the capacity to do that given where the, where the company actually was at that point in time from, from evaluation, yeah. overall evaluation. Is that a fair, is that a fair car- characterization? Yeah,
1: a fair, yeah, we, we were, we were sort of, I think we were the last IO raised for, you know, this current uh, bear market uh, started to run. Uh, but but prices were already slipping. Mm-hmm. You know, we we dropped by about a third from our peak post um, you know, IPOing, as it were, or, or reverse merging onto Nasdaq, as it were. Um, and and you know that slide uh, continued, and of course played heavily into you know the ultimate um, uh, acquisition uh, of of star by uh, Inbox. In that we were sitting in a in a you know, bear market, um, which is still relatively early. Uh, IO pipeline, as true as it was, that you know that was the case, and and I think that's you know that was the limitation. The other thing was it wasn't trivial. I think we uh, we did 176 pitches. You're right. Yes, to raise that money. So it, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, one brushes past these things, and, and the other thing is in the context, the kind of mental context for us is you know in March um, of of 2020. You know, we'd been down to like a month and a half runway mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and we still had that carry forward. You know, you'll remember those meetings there at the board, um, wondering, you know, whether we'd survive and would the R&D tax credit come in in time, you know, yes. the life of a biotech. Um, and, and it all did, right? And and partnerships arrived and, and other things, which was all terrific. But um, we also went in with, with that, um, you know, we know what it's like to be, close to the bone and we didn't really want to go there again um sort of mentality so i think all of that influenced the, the scale um and you and the other thing was we had a plan to spend 80 million and this is the plan so let's do that
0: well that um, was no the right, transition. Yeah. right. Yeah. you know we needed you know as we looked at also, we had our own three internal programs that were moving forward very actively Right. You were, you know, from both a CMC standpoint, you know, when you were looking at getting into the clinic, uh, the cost associated with that for the for the two programs beyond one one eight. um, the cost was just exploding. Right. So and we started to look at this market that's eroding away. So let's if you don't mind, let's kind of shift into, you know, where we actually kind of figured out that we needed, you know, that we needed to do something Mm -hmm. here. That really, you know, yeah. it was the markets eroding. There's something we need to do in that sort of overall discussion that we all had about the next phase of F of Star's growth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the truth was that no one was getting finance, right? IPO markets are closed down. Uh, IO and sales are kind of drop, dropped off the face. Nothing was getting funded. Uh, we had partnerships um, and, you know, we continued. Uh, even through the latter part of the journey, to to build small, uh, you know, early-stage partnerships. But really, it was all about our pipeline, and we needed to finance that. And our optionality was getting narrower and narrower. And and I guess we um, felt that, uh, you know, a a strategic um, move would be a good one. And uh, what happened um, is that we were approached... um, by inbox, and this is all a matter of uh, public record, um, in uh, the fall of um, 2021, um, to say that we'd be interested in an all cash bid uh, for the company, uh, based upon a multiple of uh, your share price, and um, you know, we then went into in the, in the due process. You know, we're a Delaware listed company, uh, as you know, um, and uh, we um, went through. The appropriate market checking. We we went back with Morgan Stanley and them, who were fantastic, Mm -hmm. uh, and went into the uh, into that uh, process uh, of acquisition. And and this sort of brushes over the fact that we consolidated in order to get all of those companies into one, uh, but still were carrying some of that legacy forwards. Um, And so uh, went went into that, you know, eyes wide open, uh, and and pushing uh, that that pathway forward. Um, It was. It was a million miles uh, from simple, um, and and there are all sorts of reasons why that's the case. But most of the lack of simplicity um, of the organizational structure, you know, the, the fact that we're going through an acquisition and, day, and, and due diligence. So it's very typical of everyone's deal, and you know, any CEO or board or chair would say, "Yeah, I know. We've seen all of that stuff." What was a bit unusual was that our acquirer's parent company is a uh, tie but Hong Kong-listed Chinese company. And um, <laughs> listeners will know the, ge- the geopolitics um, of that. And And we made a decision uh, based upon recommendations from our advisors and council. Um, and we discussed it at the board and decided to voluntarily submit to two agencies. So one is the NSIA, NSIA which is a security investment agency in the UK, which is, uh, set up to look at foreign acquirers of British companies. And, and you know, we were essentially a British company, now that listed, but 90-plus you know, percent of our staff, all of our lab operations, et cetera, were in the UK, and, and others in, you know, France, Germany, and, and of course, a, a, an important presence in the U.S. clinically and financially. Um, and so that was one. And then the other uh, was CFIUS, um, so the Committee for Financial Investment in the U.S., Um, again, set up uh, under the Obama government, I believe. And and NSIA was a kind of um, a copy, a UK version uh, of of CFIUS to protect uh, US strategic businesses from being um, acquired by foreign nationals. And I guess um, the Chinese, uh, Hong Kong-Chinese, Hong kong Thai relationship kind of flagged um, that. And and again, much of of our travails uh, were... Are um, and are in the public domain, um, I guess at the beginning we put this in, thinking we should put it in because otherwise we might trigger a review if we haven 't put a voluntary submission in any you know, of that could take right
0: up
1: to three up to three months, and we don 't want to waste three months of valuable time
0: <laughs> <laughs> little did we know and, and, so,
1: <laughs> and so in we went, and so in, we, we, we announced the deal on the twenty third of June uh, we had a you know a couple of beers, a glass of champagne, some sleep, and got up and then started writing these submissions and put those in um, around Independence Day uh, in July uh, of last year, 22. Um, and the NSIA went in and and took it. So we sat down and we did some kind of worst case, best case, you know, likely case scenarios. And in building the deal, we said best case is the thing comes in in September. It was you know, I was. Because I'm, you know, CEOs have to be kind of pathologically afflicted optimists. I thought it could be you know, August, but September, you know, base case, October, much more likely because there were certain patterns. Worst absolute case outside chances of the thing being delayed until November. Um, and so we ended the deal. We said, right, the deal will finish just after Thanksgiving, uh, November of last year. Mm-hmm. And so off we we jolly well popped. And so we heard nothing from either the UK nor the US agency uh, for a good month. Um, UK then wrote to us and asked us a few questions about, as you'd expect, competition and, you know, the nature of the technology. Did we fulfill certain criteria? There are some sensitivities around synthetic biology, for example, Um, and then silence again. um, And... We were, and we were, frankly, internally, we were most worried about the UK because there'd been a lot of rhetoric uh, by the conservative government at the time, which was anti-China, and we were getting a bit caught up in, in some of that, uh, we thought. Um, but as it happened, um, out of the blue came a letter addressed to me and, and to the CEO from the other side, Ben, saying, uh, you're through. Uh, and it didn't actually say that. It used a lot of double negatives. So it looked like we were all going to jail, but then our lawyers were in front so that to That's a you've passed, you're fine. <laughs> so, so that was good. And so and so, what was left was CIFIUS. Um and uh, cifius uh, for those who don't know, runs um, to a very ordered path, and it's very well organised, and, and it's managed by U.S. Treasury, um, and and really, you know, diligent, hardworking professionals running a um, a, a process, and the process is series of 45 days so you get a 45 day review and then another 45 day that's connected to that and you know we didn't think we'd get through the first 45 days there's no experience of that occurring for you know cut for countries of the origin of the acquirer other than kind of Canada and the UK and Germany type of thing so anyone else was going to go into the second 45 days we expected that we planned for it we got towards the end of the second 45 days hadn't heard much and then got a few questions and said, you're now going to have to go into the next round. So now we're going from uh, 90 days to 180 days into the system. And we quickly realized that our deal would run out um, mm-hmm. during that period. And I guess just to give you a snapshot of what it was like, and we talked a little bit about being a UK-based uh, uh, CEO. Of course, one of, the one of the advantages is you get the mornings to start sitting, have a walk, dog, go to the gym, or have a round of golf or a lie-in one of the disadvantages is that all the meetings start at 5 o'clock in the evening. Um, yes. <laughs> or, um, or worse, as it turned out with government, they like to have their meetings when their evening is over. So 10 o'clock in the evening uh, here. So most of my nights, uh, and it was in, in, in the November, and now we're at the very end of the worst-case scenario, in November of last year, I did 24 nights uh, with meetings starting between 930 and kind of club, not just me, the whole team, the lawyers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was a pretty, it's a pretty brutal way to, to run your life. But you think, well, this is short-term. How, you know, this is not going to last much more than a couple of weeks. <laughs> and how long will we? And, um, and so, and again, just to give you a snapshot of it, because of security, and this is perfectly understandable, but it's weird, is we're all now used to using Zoom and on you know, Zoom for five to six people. You can see everyone. You can you know, see the guys in their pajamas, the ones who are yawning and having a cup of tea and the ones who are actually interested. And, um, and the way in which it works with the government, I'm sure it's probably true of many agents, certainly CFIUS, is you've got my, have myself, our lawyers, and, and the acquirer, Ben, and his lawyers, with our screens on and our names and, you know, smiling faces looking a bit tired. And then a whole lot, 20-plus little black boxes, no names. No numbers, just little black boxes, and um, and you talk to the black boxes basically, Um, and 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 again, all everyone very professional, very nice, but following a set of rules which almost certainly are being dictated by uh, geopolitical um, waves rather than anything else. You know, so we would wake up in the morning and there's a spy balloon has gone down the East coast and being shot down. And we all go, Oh, dear, I, mate,
0: I, I remember that it. one. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you know, I think it, it was, you know, it, this, it was a torturous process. Like it was like, uh, you know, it was great to see how, you know, specifically you Bill Hicks uh, from Mint 11 really stepped up. And, and I think, Syphius did a very good job in trying to be responsive, you know, but obviously, you know, what everybody, and it it, it actually surprised me, the level of interest that's actually generated in the marketplace, Um, you know, what we ended up in a very, very, very difficult situation. I think this is probably the only time with us working together that I actually felt that you and I, you were very stressed Um, about you were in a very tough situation. You were very stressed. Um, You were dealing with investors. You were dealing with employees. You really weren't getting any sleep. Um, You know, it was a very turbulent time. Um, And I think that was, you know, there was a couple of conversations you and I ended up having that I wondered if it was going to jeopardize our relationship or our friendship, right? Because it was such a challenging period of time. and, and, And it was uncharted territory, right? Like we really, there was no... And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but, the, but in dealing with Cepheus and how it all played out, there was no precedent out there that we could point to and say, this is how okay. you actually manage through the situation. Um, and clearly, you know, what the market is aware of is we took a very tough decision and made a move that, you know, that, okay. that, was that, that frankly, uh, for all of us. It was—is this the right thing for us to do, and how best do we actually make this move? Do you want to talk? And I just kind of have time. Do you want to talk a little bit about that because that was a big, yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And and this was over Christmas of, of twenty two, and and so the press. So the the background to this is as part of the closing requirements for the deal, uh, we had to have an approval from Cifis, but that was a self imposed um, clause. We didn't have to have it in there. It was just. Put in as part of the deal, um, and so we decided uh, collectively, asking the other company, and on advisement with the lawyers, and informed Sifus that we were going to waive. And we we're we we're at um, deal amendments because we had to keep extending because we've gone beyond the fir- you know the first deal running out. Of kit. We're at deal amendment number four or something like this. Everyone's tired, as you say, strung out. Uh, investors are up and down. They're calling every single time we put a K out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and the um, and you know the the decision was made um, to waive this particular clause and then just close. Um, and and we got to the 23rd of December. We talked to if that was just going to happen, and they um, they heard it, uh, did not obviously didn't acknowledge it, but heard it and didn't say no. And so we sort of we took that as the kind of green light, and so we pressed the button. Um, we worked through. Uh, the 25th and 26th and went to close it on the 27th and at midnight um, and literally this is not even one of those two minutes of midnight this was five minutes after midnight when the deal uh, all bar the confirmatory exchange of documents had been closed uh, we got a standstill order mm-hmm. from the u.s government um, and basically said, that's it, you're done, you're not moving anywhere. Um, I went out for a walk that morning and you know, with my wife and the dog and said, I think we're done, I don't think it's going to close. But actually, um, what had happened was, Ziphius had just said, you know, this may be something we will agree to, but we're not agreeing to it on your terms and your timing. We would only agree to it if we agree to it. Um, and so you're going to stand still until we get to know more. And that was a, that was a particularly tough uh, uh, time and again, as a matter of public record, how they found out about it is one of the lawyers, for reasons best known to themselves, had contacted a old colleague and said this was about to happen, uh, and then the whole thing uh, fell apart um, as a consequence of that. You know, I think in in long hindsight it was probably a, a good outcome, but I can tell you right now, at the time, it felt like an absolute shock, and I know we were all, um, to put it mildly, pretty upset and. All speaking Anglo-Saxon to each other uh, at that point, <laughs> but, but but we you know we 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 pivoted and continued on. And the hardest thing was getting the team, you know, who'd been working, and the board who'd been incredibly patient, and of course the acquirer who could easily yes. run out and use Yes. Who had to keep extending these deals um, to keep going, and and ultimately we kept this work on. And I guess you know we got to. Amendment number eight, and and for those who know eight is a lucky number uh, in in uh, you know, Chinese and Hong Kong Chinese culture, and I called the CEO, and you're saying you realise it's the eighth amendment. I want you to be lucky for us, and and sure enough, we continue to give information and 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 work with Cyprus, and and then after having spent, you know, pretty, what felt like pretty much every waking hour and and understanding every single move and backwards and forwards on it. Overnight on a Monday, uh, we got up and there was an email um, in our inbox with, you're approved on it. So there was no, it was just the most extraordinary thing because there was no, you know, oh, we're going to send you the approval, well done lads, you know, right. for all the work, it's been a great partnership. Anything, like just approved, boom, stamped, and, and then we're done and we didn't need to film them again. And yeah. so, you know, the next day we closed and all of that sort of stuff. It was just and, and, I, and I don't know whether you felt this nest, but but i given that we've been then since the previous July and this is now March of this year working on this CFIUS approval, I sort of didn't believe it right I kept asking yes. you know, the lawyers and and other people is this real is is there something else and i and I just couldn't get my head around the idea that we'd sort of eventually come out of the other side of this thing um, and you know, and, and then the company moved on, and, and so on and so forth, and and that that for me was the kind of strangest part, and then the sort of deep exhaustion set in for everyone. I mean, I know the you guys, the board, and you, Nest, you know, as as leading the board and council, you know, every single day of every single hour was available, and we were all shot, um, and and um, but but terrific, you know, because the. Uh, deal happened we returned capital the shareholders in a market in which people were basically not getting anything back and we gave them back multiples on average multiples of that investment um, and really importantly the team 90 mm. percent of the team and the programs have got the investment they sorely needed which wouldn't have happened in this current market you know we'd have done what everyone does which is picked one done a riff you know trying to try to Skilly it through to the next stage and hope that the world changes and uh,
0: and patients, the case, right? you know, and patients right. continue to get drug right. I mean, th- there was exactly. a point that we were coming to, which was like, are we going to have to shut yeah. clinical trials down here? How do we think about yeah. you know yeah, ensuring exactly. that we're able to continue because we were seeing some good, um, you know, uh, data coming through from patients. I think you know yeah. you, you skipped yeah, exactly. I think there were probably two things you 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 kind of skipped over but I think it's important to flag is the decision to move forward. That was a really tough decision for us, right? We spent a lot of time just walking through various scenarios, implications. How do we make sure that we don't catch Cepheus by surprise by doing what we're going to do here. And and as best we can kind of bring them along the journey with us in our decision process. And when we actually make the announcement that we're actually going to go and make the close, right? So, you know, that was, that was a very challenging period of time just thinking how do we navigate through this because the balance sheet we're still very conscious of where we are from a balance sheet standpoint we're conscious we're going to start losing employees you know if because they've been told there's a transaction that's going to happen they're reading about it and then you know you're starting to see endpoint news picking up for example that we've extended yet again or there's a rumor out there this transaction is going to close Um, and then to your point about sino i mean they were great but if I remember correctly, there was also a piece that came out in their local news and their stock, what, dropped 20% about that the F-star isn't that's going right. to happen. So, you know, the, the market exactly. was actually very yeah. clearly communicating to them. They wanted to see this transaction take place too. So I think that was probably the no, first one. you right. You know, and then the second one, you know, to your point was, it was, I remember waking up and seeing the email. Like I went to bed thinking we're done, right? We're going to close. And yeah. this is just now, you know. CFIUS have, have, have known this, you know, we, they, they, they haven't done anything, which we assumed was a green light. And then I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning, um, to an email that is, you know, we've got the standstill order, um, and we need to navigate through it, which was really just very sobering. It was very, you know, I would say that was, that was, that was pretty tough to get that. Um, but kudos to you, you, you know, I looked, there's multiple times in this journey that I've looked and said, it is amazing Elliot is still here. You know, like he is stuck through all of this and continue to push and push and push. Your doggedness in it has just been just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, um, That's you know. very kind. Oh, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I'm,
1: just, I'm too stupid to realize anything else, Ness, as you know. You're anything say, but too stupid. The first, the first of the first of those two was the thing I think that pressure tested our, your and my relationship more than anything else, because we knew to kind of go around a government institution in particular, in particular, in the geopolitical environment we found ourselves in was, was quite a signal. I think we're still the only biotech that's got through that process uh, in this way. And, and and I know that you had been you know double checking and checking and double checking. And of course, I was like strung out and tired and just wanted this thing to go away um, but but I think your your doggedness as well, your diligence was really important. But I, you know, I I do think we probably exchanged a few expletives at mm-hmm. that point. Um, but I, but I you know I, I I hope you know and I and I knew that it was coming from the right place from you and 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 frankly that that chair CEO relationship when it works does this sort of thing and, and I think um, that was. At its toughest, but at its best, on behalf of shareholders and patients and, and our staff, frankly,
0: I agree. And, and yes, we, and that was
1: a, a, a brutally difficult decision to make. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, just to get a letter
0: saying
1: <laughs> stop as a consequence it was, it was disappointing. I think, <laughs> as we would say in England. Um yes, yeah, no, extraordinary, really extraordinary. And, it's, and, y- and and I guess, sorry, go for it. I, I, I don't know how long we've got. How long we've got but. One final thing is, is we were then all absolutely delighted we closed the Tetra and Tetra. we transferred the funds and everything moved, and we moved all of our funds into Silicon Valley Bank. Yes, on the day <laughs> that Silicon Valley Bank, you
0: could not make this pants, up.: there was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could not make this up: again, it that really was. was. <laughs>
1: and that's absolutely true. And, and I remember sitting in my kitchen fretting on a Friday morning with that Friday. Um, and, and my wife saying, why are you worrying about it? Said, oh, it's the, it's about it? She said, it's got nothing to do with you, stop it. And I said, actually, I'm really worried about this. And, and you know, thank heaven, uh, Darlene, our CFO, had done a bounce in, bounce out of the accounts. So we we're moving hundreds of millions of dollars around the shareholders through Silicon Valley. And if it had been 24 hours later, right, we'd probably still be trying to close that deal now to get all of the, you know those hundreds of millions out of that U.S. account. And... Um, and we just—you you literally couldn't make it up. It was like, no. could it could it happen to anyone else? But anyway, that's again, you know, with the we can smile about it with hindsight. But that was a pretty
0: that was tough. Sort of twenty four hours as well. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. this has been—you know—this has been great. I'm sorry. Um, the I actually would love to get you on again and talk a little bit more about UK biotech, what you've seen there, and yeah. the differences between US and UK. But. Um, This has been fascinating. It was, it was a, what a coaster that whole F-star experience actually was. And it is not, it is not a case study of perfection by a long shot. I think it's fair to say, right? Um, this has been, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. And, um, you know, and thank you personally for all the hard work that you put into this, the diligence, you know, the doggedness, um, and just, you always came to it with a, with a very good spirit. Um, so it was great to work with you through it um, and through probably, you know, some extremely difficult periods. So um, so personally, thank you for all of the work that you did here.
1: It's a pleasure, Nessun. I
0: look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Elliot. Uh, take thank care and appreciate you taking all the time. Right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Between the Biotech Waves.